Well, good to see you again. It's been forever. Um, we are continuing with our new series, our, our Reset Refocus series, which is really our attempt at just kind of acknowledging where everyone's kind of been this year or really the last two or three years and really just trying to get our bearings again of what it is we're doing, where it is we're going, what are the big rocks in our lives. We're, we're recentering ourselves on what is actually important. And that is, of course, Jesus, his presence and his power among us. And so uh, we've got four weeks planned. Uh, we're in week three today. We did Abide week one. Oh, Matt stepped in at the last minute to preach my notes on uh, John 15. Abide in me that you might bear much fruit. Uh, last week, Matt talked about assembling and that God has promised that when we assemble, something, something happens, something extra special happens together and how significant that is for us. Uh, today, we're looking at AIM. And next week, we'll do Ask. We love alliteration, apparently. If you missed the first two weeks, uh, you can go find them on our, on our podcast, on our YouTube channel, on our website, uh, any other kind of uh, stream you can imagine. It's probably there. Um, go give that a like and a subscribe and listen to that. It really helps get the, um, get the, get the uh, things out on the internet. It really makes a huge difference uh, if you do those kind of things. If you missed this in particular... Abide, I'd so encourage you to go back and listen to that message. And last week was great as well, wherever Matt is. Um, but yeah, so, so significant. Today, our topic is aim. Aim. Here's our question. The question we're trying to honestly answer today, humbly answer, uh, maybe with some uh, somber thinking. And that is the question, what is it that our lives are actually aiming at? What is it that our lives are aiming at? Where is it that you think you are going? <laughs> and maybe the most important question, what does God have to say about that? What does God himself, where would he have us go? Both individually and as a church. And so let me just pray once more before we jump in. Lord, today we acknowledge once more that we need you. We need you to speak to us. We need you to cut through our defenses Lord, we want to meet with you today, Lord. We want to hear your word. We want to uh, be re-centered and refocused, Lord, on what is actually important, Lord. So I pray that you would speak to us today. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see your will and your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I think if we were to take stock of where our culture is at today, we'd probably come to the conclusion that, uh, that we're all living that our culture at large is living on a starvation diet of meaning. Do you know what a starvation diet is? It's, it's when you kind of have enough food to keep you alive today, but probably not a week from now. It's a slow execution. And in our secular Western context, we have severed ourselves, or our culture has severed itself from its maker. And in so doing, it has severed itself from any kind of source of transcendent meaning. Which means no one has any idea why they're here anymore. There is a meaning vacuum. Uh, the message you'll get today in, in pop music and in Disney movies is, it's up to you now. You go and you make your own meaning. Right? If you watch any of the Disney movies, that's what it's all about. It's all about you being true to yourself. That's all we have left now. You decide what matters. You decide your meaning, etc. In the words of the, uh, the great modern philosopher, Taylor Swift, um, <laughs> She said this, she says, I have some good news for you. 
It's totally up to you. I have some terrifying news for you. It is totally up to you. If this is where we land on, on how we find our meaning in life, what we'll find is that there's a crushing amount of pressure. So what happens when it goes wrong? What happens when you can't find your meaning? Well, I'll tell you what happens. You end up with what we have in our world today with, it's almost impossible to find a psychologist. <laughs> they've, uh, they've got work for decades, right? We are living in a, uh, when, the, when the narrative is you go find your own meaning, then what happens when it goes wrong? Crisis, anxiety, loneliness. It is an endemic, it is endemic among us today the crisis levels of, of anxiety we're experiencing together. On a personal level, I think it's insane. I think it's a crazy thing to try and look inwards to find what I'm here for. There's nothing, it's a, just a dead end. I think I need more than that. I think you need more than that. I think God made us all for more than that. God made us for more than that. The English writer Dorothy Sayers, she said it like this of her generation, 50s, 60s, maybe 40s, I can't remember. Um, it seems even more true of our day-to-day. -day. This is what she said. Listen to this. She says, the sin of our times is the sin that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains alive because there is nothing for which it will die. Thank you, Dorothy, for pointing that out to us all. That's us, right? That's, this, is, this is our secular world we are living in. Why are we here? Is there anything worth living for? If not, why, why bother? This is what Paul says in Ephesians 5. He gives us this encouragement. He says, look carefully then how you walk. So pay attention to your life, right? Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul's saying, there is a way to be a fool. I think to be honest, to let you in a little secret, I think I might be a fool. I know for sure Matt's a fool. Um, no, no, yeah, like you guys don't even know the half of it, right? Um, no doubt about that. But I think I might be a fool too. And I suspect you are as well. Based on these verses, right? We are all tragically at risk of wasting our lives, living unwise lives. Here's what I know for sure today in this room. No one here in this room wants to be a fool. No one wants that. The other thing I know today is that no one in this room wants to waste their life. So what do we do? Look at, this, look at these verses again. Look carefully how then you walk. Hear that? Look carefully. Pay attention to how it is you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what is the will of the Lord? If we don't want to be fools, if we don't want to waste our life, what is the will of the Lord? That we might not be fools. 
Well, we can go to so many places in the Word for this. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom of God. That is where our lives must be pointing. Seek first the kingdom of God. I think we all know that left unchecked, left to our own devices, our minds, our our lives will just curve inwards on themselves. We will live closed, self-absorbed lives if someone doesn't stop us. That's where we're all heading without intervention. Our lives are all pointed towards our own priorities, what we think is important, our own concerns, our own needs, our own wants, our own goals, our own concerns, our own agendas. That's where we're going, right? That's what we care about. Then Jesus comes to us. What does Jesus say? Jesus, he calls us out from that kind of living. He calls us out from our mighty fortresses of self and, 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 and invites us to lift up our eyes to what he's doing, to what is actually important. He wants us to see the world that he has made and that he dearly loves. So I picture it as like a, um, a Simba sitting down with Mufasa kind of moment on Pride Rock, right? Jesus kind of opens up our minds to the world outside of ourselves and how and, and, his, and his plans for it, which, by the way, guys, his plans for the world, it's nothing short of its complete transformation by the power of the gospel. This is no small thing. So becoming a Christian, for us, is not just to receive a stamp on your head that says forgiven, so that we can go back to living in our own little isolated lives. It's to receive a whole new vision for our lives new vision. Which means, for those of us that have experienced this, which means it's, it means in one sense we've kind of been ruined forever because God's given us a vision so big, <laughs> so grand, so beautiful, so massive that now anything less feels empty and trivial. Have you experienced that? Jesus taught us to love God with everything we have heart, mind, soul, strength, right? And to love others with an ongoing kind of self-sacrifice that lays down our lives for the good of others, just as Christ himself has loved us. Jesus has taught us it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus has taught us to put others' needs above our own. Jesus has taught us to seek first the kingdom of God. And when we live these kind of lives, there's this wonderful surprise that happens to us when we begin to live these kind of lives that reflect Jesus, what happens? He shows up, doesn't he? Those of us who have experienced this, he provides, he blesses, he fills the gap in ways we didn't even know we needed. In, 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 in laying down our lives, we discover that we actually find our lives. We discover that in laying down our freedoms for the good of others, we actually find freedom because we're walking in the will of God. We discover that in, in following Jesus on that narrow way of self-denial, we actually find the good life, life with Christ. And so today, having said that, we're going to look at three reasons to propel us into God's will for our lives, which is bigger than us, bigger than you. Three reasons to say yes to him today, and three reasons to continue saying yes to him tomorrow and the day after that. Three reasons to adjust our schedules and our budgets, and our genders, our entire lives around what he has for us. 
So, reason number one for us to consider today. Eternity is real. Think about that for a moment. To seek first the kingdom means we must view our short earthly lives in their proper context, in light of eternity. I think it is so easy to get this wrong. It is so hard for us to keep eternity in our thinking. We get our priorities so far out of kilter when we forget eternity. Eternity is an incredible weapon that God has given us to be wise and reshape our priorities around his plan. So let's think a little bit about our lives in light of eternity. I'm going to borrow a thing. I've done this before from Francis Chan because I've never thought of a better one than this. Okay, here we go. For those of you who have seen this, you know what's happening now. Um, in all the years, yeah, I've never thought of something that's more helpful. This is an extension cord. However, it isn't. This actually is a timeline representing your life. So here it is. Here's the start of it. It goes over there. It wraps around the building, out the door, um, out, out on Stanford Road, down onto the M1, down to over to Perth, but like via Darwin, right? So it's a really long cable. I paid a fortune for this cable. Um, and then after, after Perth, it just goes, it goes up into space. I don't know. But it goes on at forever. Are you with me? Never-ending cable. Um, it's got some metal prongs on it. These metal prongs, these, this is your life on Earth. There it is there. I don't know why there's three of them. Just signal the other ones. <laughs> this is your life on Earth. Just think about that for a second. Because there it goes. It goes into eternity. Uh, this is where you're born. That part there is where you die. That's your teens. That's your 20s. That's your 30s. That's your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Some of us might get to 100 there. And then glory, right? Eternity starts. Okay. Think about that. How much of us are obsessing about this part there? So we're thinking, okay, I want to go to school, work really hard, get a job for that part there so that I can earn money so I can buy a house in that part there so that I can kind of be comfortable enough for that part there, do some travel over there, and then kind of retire there so I can get good at golf, and then um, you'll be able to eat good food, yeah, do some um, good cafes and stuff, keep, keep, keep it real, and then, and then I'll, I'll just, my entire life will be built around that, that, those few millimeters there well, when I made it, right? So everything's pointing towards those, that bit there when I made it. And what about this? Look at that. It goes on forever. So I think if you were to think about this, even just for a moment, you would realize you are crazy. There is a, a kind of cognitive dissonance we live in, right, where we're like, we just forget about all of this, and we just pretend this is all there is. The decisions we make to live for this part here instead of that part there is insane. Jesus tells us, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? That's what he's talking about, right? What will it profit a man to get, give his life to getting rich for that one millimeter and then forfeit his entire life? Who cares 
how comfortable you are for a few millimeters if you're going to forfeit your eternity. Who cares? You're insane. Think about your life in this light. Eternity is real. You are made to live forever. You are, you are made to live forever. God made you that way. Not here on this sick planet, but with him forever. You are made for eternity. So can I just say, just think. Like, just use your heads. Think about this. Your life is so short, and eternity is forever. Friends, you're going to have to make some sacrifices in this life. Guess what? It's not a big deal in light of eternity. It is a big deal, but in light of eternity, everything comes into focus. So do not waste your life chasing stuff on this planet. It's not going to last. You can't take it with you, right? We go out like we came in. Look carefully then how you walk. That's what he's talking about, right? Look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Listen, those of you who are getting older know this. Time goes really fast. It accelerates as you get older. You can't get those days back. Yesterday, Saturday, you can't do that again. It's over. It's, it's now in the past. You can't get it back. There are only so many days you have on this planet before the end. And the day is coming when you're going to reach that part, right? When you're going to cross over, you're going to leave the metal into into eternity, and you're going to start eternity with the Lord. I don't think you think about that enough. I know you don't think about that enough. I don't either. But eternity is coming, and what we do today will affect our forever. What you do today will affect your forever. Do not waste your life for temporary pleasures. It is insane thing to do. Seek first the kingdom. Number one. Number two. When we seek the kingdom, God shows up. God shows up. He promises to provide for us moment by moment. I think the one fear we have, one of the fears we have, probably the biggest one, is if we really commit to living life this way, if we hand Jesus the keys, so to speak, we sign him the blank check and we go, all right, you do what you do, there's a fear in us that goes, am I safe in doing this? Is he going to destroy me? Maybe we don't think about it in that such extreme terms, but like, am I, like, is that okay to do? Is he, is, he, is he trustworthy with my life? Well, one thing we see is this, this command to seek first the kingdom. It doesn't actually come to us in a vacuum in the Bible. There's verses either side of it. It actually comes to the very end of a long block of teaching on worry. Jesus is preaching on worry. This is the end of the sermon. He says this, do not be anxious. If you're here today and you're anxious, hear the, hear the promise of Jesus. Don't be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the world, right, they seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Isn't that comforting? God knows what you need. He's not oblivious to the fact that you need food and clothes to wear and a roof over your head. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things, all the things you need will be added to you as well. So instead of concerning yourself 
consuming yourself with worry about whether God's going to come through for you this time, is he trustworthy? We are to concern ourselves living for God. He'll take care of the rest. You concern yourself following Jesus. You trust him to look after you. He says, do not be anxious. I've got this. Now, Jesus is not here promising a trouble-free life. I think we would be crazy to read, that, this, read this that way, right? Remember, Jesus died on a cross. A lot of the disciples died for their faith. They were the ones he was talking to at the time, remember? Now, I don't think Jesus is promising us a life free of hardship in this life, at least. He's promising that moment by moment, he will provide everything we need. He will provide the grace we need when we get to that moment when we need him. He will be there through any circumstances and he'll bring us safely to him. He will see us through. He will provide the strength we need when we need it. You can rest assured of that promise. That's what John Piper says. He says, when you think about your life, your food, your clothes, your spouse, your job, your mission, don't fret about them. Instead, make God the king in that affair. And in that moment... And hand over the situation to his kingly power to do his righteous will with confidence that he will work for you and meet all your needs. To seek the kingship of God first in every affair and every moment of life is a thrilling way to live. Amen. I think it's full of freedom and peace and joy and adventure and hardship. And it's worth it all. If you believe in the kingship of your heavenly father, you do not need to be anxious about anything. What he's saying is that if Jesus is on the throne, what are you worried about? What, what, what can actually harm you if Jesus is on the throne? And so my question today for us all is, are you seeking first the kingdom or are you seeking first your own kingdom? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God or are you seeking first your own kingdom in the form of, of money, stuff, Maybe a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a more secure, a comfortable life, whatever it might be, right? The stuff of this world. Friends, our priorities matter to God. Our priorities matter to God. Why? Because our hearts matter to God. He cares what it is we seek first. He cares what it is we seek first. One of my persistent fears for Christians everywhere, but this church in particular, as your pastor is that in our self-obsessed, hyper-individualistic Western culture, guys, that you'll just lose sight of the fact that God has called you to something bigger than yourself. Don't miss that. Your life isn't ultimately about you. Your marriage is not ultimately about you. Your job is not ultimately about you. This church is not ultimately about you. His purposes for us all are bigger than ourselves. They're more glorious than ourselves. They're more beautiful than what we can live for on our own steam. He has called us before anything else to seek his kingdom, seek his righteousness, to seek his will for our lives, to have our hearts so fixed on him that everything else falls into its proper place. We live in light of the fact that Jesus is on the throne and he has promised to provide for us when we seek his kingdom as our priority, which means sacrifice. It means sacrifice. Which brings us to our last reason to live this kind of life. And that is, there is a cost. You say, 
there is a cost. Why is that a reason to live life for Jesus if there is a cost? How, how is that helpful? Here's what I mean. There is a cost to following Jesus. There is an infinitely greater one for not following him. There is a cost to following Jesus. There is an infinitely greater one for not following him. This is what Jesus said. He tells his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus teaches us first that there is a cost to following him. There really is a real one. He tells us that in a sense, following him means picking up the very cross we will one day die on and bearing it with us each day. What's he trying to say? That cross we're carrying each day is a symbol of the fact that our lives have been forfeited to him. They're not our own anymore. We belong to him. We bear our cross as a reminder that our lives are his. I think it is time for us all to deeply accept the fact that following Jesus will be difficult and there will be sacrifices along the way. No one is getting out of this thing alive. Look at this next verse, though. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? So here's what I need to see you, have you see today in these verses, right? What's the alternative to laying down your life for Jesus? What's, what's the other option? Because Jesus tells us infinitely more costly to try and guard your life. You'll lose it in the end. It's not how it works. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There is a cost either way, friends. A self-centered life is not just a wasted life, although it is. It's a loss of your life. To go back to the cord analogy, right? What's the point in throwing away eternity for a few millimeters of temporary joy? What's the point? How what does that get you? How is that good maths? It just does not add up. How is it going to profit you to lose your soul? So you've got to choose which price you're going to pay. Either bear your cross and follow Jesus or lose your life. Either live today, lose your soul, or give yourself, body and soul, to your creator who's promised you life, promised you forgiveness of sin, promised you life eternal. Some of us here, I think, today, maybe you're here today and you're actually hearing this for the first time. This is news to you. And you haven't probably in your recent history thought much about eternity. I just want to just, just encourage you, beg you even, don't shut your thoughts off here. Think. Use your brain. Think about this. Think about your existence. Think about what's going to happen in light of eternity. What do you think is going to be better? Do the maths. In light of eternity, what? A temporary earthly cost or eternal cost? You've got to pick. 
David Livingston, he was a, a, the pioneer to a, a pioneer missionary to Africa way back in the, um, the 18th century. And he spoke, 19th century, sorry, he spoke about his, spoke about his uh, experience of giving himself for the gospel, giving himself to God. I love what he has to say. He says, people talk of the sacrifice I have made. Away with the word. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Rather, I say it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, danger now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences of this life, may make us pause, but only for a moment. In light of eternity, right? Put on the eternity glasses. All these things are nothing when compared with the glory that shall hereafter be revealed in us and for us. I never made a sacrifice. He should not speak of it when we remember the great sacrifice he made, who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. Let's be careful when we talk about making sacrifices for God, friends. Remember what Jesus did for us. I, don't, I think what he's saying is, I'm not a hero, right, for giving my life to the gospel. That doesn't make me a hero. What has Jesus done for me? He laid down his life for me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The cost we bear cannot compare to the gain. The cost we bear cannot compare with the gain. It's kind of like going, like finding a time machine, going back in time to the early 90s and putting your life savings into window shares, right? Did it cost you? Yeah, it did. But did it? Is that, actually a, is that actually a burden? Is that a sacrifice for you to make, to put your life savings into those stocks, right? It's, it's just, can you, you can't even call it a sacrifice. Seek first the kingdom of God, which means following him where he calls you into a life worth living, to a life with purpose, laying down your life for his purposes. And through you, Jesus promises he'll bear much fruit. He will shine his light through you to a love-starved world that is in desperate need of this message. Our world is desperate for Jesus. Friends, we need to serve them with the gospel. I reckon this can take so many different forms. What does it mean to give your life to Jesus? It can take so many different forms. Um, maybe, let me just throw out a few things, right? Maybe it looks like investing in our kids with the gospel. We just had Jacob here before and Ben as well. That's a good work. That's a good work. Maybe it means getting involved in um, teaching RI at schools. You would, I can't remember what the opt-in rates are, but they're way higher than you would think. There's hundreds of kids, thousands of kids around Brisbane who are going to be hearing about Jesus. If someone would go tell them. SU runs a chaplaincy program. There are so many openings for chaplains. They can't find enough of them. Maybe... God is calling you to work like that, where you go serve kids with the gospel. That's a sacrifice. Of course that is. It's a good work for Jesus. In my own uh, story, I had, a, I had one very kind of clear calling from Jesus. I was an engineer, and I lived in a kind of perpetual state of existential crisis um, because I knew God had more for me. I didn't know what that was. And then one day he called me. Oh, through a season, he began to, uh, through his leading, through reading the word, through prayer, he began to call me out of engineering and into what I'm doing now. But I mean, at the time, I had no idea what that meant. 
one step at a time. Quit my job, started Bible college. Eventually started here as an intern. I mean, he had me on that journey way before I was ready. And that the Lord provided day by day, month by month, year by year. And he continues to provide, as the members in the room would know. It's, the Lord has provided. That, that was my story, right? That was, that was how the Lord called me out of kind of my fortress of self into, into a different work. Probably won't look like that for most people. Some of you it might, though. Some of you might be called out of your career into gospel work. Are you open to that? Does Jesus truly have the blank check or not? Maybe for you, the step is different, right? Maybe for you, the step is, you know what, you need to find a different job. Maybe your job keeps you away from church on Sunday. Maybe it's time to find a different job so you can gather, assemble is the word, actually, with the church on Sunday. Because that's God's will for your life. Maybe a step for you is to join one of the teams of this church where you can serve others with the gospel. Welcoming, you know, whatever it might be, hospitality in, in this church. Maybe, maybe your next step would be to join the, uh, the evangelism team that go out to the city and talk to other people about Jesus. Maybe you need to reallocate your finances so that you could sponsor a kid in the foyer. Maybe that's what Jesus is calling you to. That's a, that's, a, that's a sacrifice. Maybe you're new to this whole Jesus thing, and for you what the next step looks like is to actually open your life up to him. Sign him that blank check. Go all in with Jesus. Take another step forward in your faith in investigating him in light of eternity. That's a good deal. So whatever it is he's calling you to, there's a million different things. I pray the Holy Spirit right now would be prompting you that you would know what it is that he is calling you to. Remember, eternity is long. Your life is so short. You're not getting your days back. Live your life for him. He's going to provide everything you need along the way. Do not be anxious. And remember, there is going to be a cost to going your own way. There will be. Let me just finish with this as the band makes their way back up. Um, your life matters. Your life matters. It matters to God. You're not trivial in his view of the world. He has a plan for you. You were made for more than collecting trinkets and watching Netflix until you go back down into the dirt. I promise you that. God today wants to dignify you life of purpose, life of nobility, life of meaning, life of value. And so do not be a fool. Do not waste your life. Don't waste your life. Seek first the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, I confess that it is incredibly difficult to keep these things front and center in our minds. And so we ask now, I ask now on behalf of us all, Lord, and on behalf of myself, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, supernaturally, help us to see this. That we would see reality in its fullness and not in the distorted, convenient way that we see it so often, Lord. 
our lives feel long on this world, Lord, but you've called us to something more eternal. With lives that matter today for tomorrow. Lord, we want to bear fruit. We don't want to be fools. We don't want to waste our life, Lord. And at the same time, we confess that we've been doing a lot of wasting. We've been doing a lot of wasting. Lord, give us courage to bear the cost. You don't promise it's going to be easy. You don't promise it's going to be a walk in the park. park. Lord, but I don't think we would want it any other way. You went to the cross for us. Lord, would we go to more than the couch for you? Help us bear our cross, acknowledging what it means for us. Not pointless hardship, but worship. Lord, we are gaining our life in those moments where we lay down our own desires. You're glorified in that, Lord. Even when, it's, when you're the only one that sees that, Lord, even in that moment, Lord, Help us see. Help us see these things. Help us lay down our lives. Help us take that next step, whatever it might be, Lord. Giving our lives back to you, Lord. Lord, for those of us in this room who are who haven't really taken that step yet, Lord, still holding back. Lord, would they see today promise of eternal life. The promise of a life of purpose. The promise of a fruitful life for your glory. Would you be with us today, Lord? Would you minister to us today, Lord, through through these words, through the songs we're about to sing, Lord? Would you be glorified, I pray. We pray all these things in the name of our Saviour, Jesus. Amen.